Hi, and welcome to the Legal Marketing 2.0 podcast. I'm your host, Tim Barron, and this is a show where we examine the latest trends in digital marketing to help you get more leads and clients. In today's episode, it is my great pleasure to chat with Bob Ambrosi about a range of topics, including legal technology and the change it has brought about and continues to bring about in the profession, relationship marketing, blogging, social media, and some of the challenges and some of the opportunities lawyers and legal marketers have and they face today. But before we jump into the episode, I want to ask you a question. Do you struggle with digital marketing and how to make it work for you and for your firm? If so, please go to lawfirmmarketinghelp.com and sign up for a free digital audit. The audit will provide you with all of the information you need to build a blueprint for your digital marketing strategy to produce the results you want. All right, on with the show. Bob is a lawyer and consultant and former editor-in-chief of the National Law Journal. Bob was one of the pioneers in legal blogging. He founded the super popular Law Sites blog 15 years ago, and he writes and speaks extensively on legal technology, social media, and the internet. Bob has won a ton of awards for his excellence in legal journalism, and most recently being awarded the very prestigious Yankee Quill Award for Journalism. And Bob is not only one of the most knowledgeable people I know in legal tech, um, he's also one of the kindest with unfailing integrity and one of my favorites. So I'm not gonna go all fanboy on Bob, so I'll I'll just leave it right there. And I've told you how I feel about Bob, now everyone knows. And um, Bob, I'm just super excited and honored to have you on the podcast. Oh, well, thank you very much, Tim. And I, I would say the same about you. You are one of the nicest and uh, person, people in legal tech and, and uh, have the most integrity and uh, we respect everything you do. So it's a pleasure to get to talk to you as always. That's very kind. But, you know, I was not fishing for a compliment. <laughs> <laughs> no, but no, I really mean it. You know that. I've known Thanks. You for a I, while appreciate, and, uh, I appreciate that, Bob. Yeah. So, you know, I've been in the legal profession for more than two decades, and I've never seen so much change and angst that goes along with it. And I think technology is playing a huge role in that change, and everywhere from solos to big law. And it's super challenging, but I think it's super exciting time to be in the legal industry. Would you agree? And what are some of the challenges that you're seeing out there? I, I completely agree. Um, you know, I've been writing about technology for a long time. You mentioned I've been doing my blog for 15 years. I've been writing about technology for even longer than that. Uh, and, you know, it always it's always sort of seemed like it's an interesting time to be writing about technology uh, because there's always something happening, something changing. But the last, you know, I don't know, the last five years in particular, and, and, and it's only accelerating or snowballing, uh, has just been, unlike anything I've ever seen before, you know, and part of it, it is, there's a number of reasons for it. I, I think part of it that I, I seize on a lot is just the growing uh, number of legal startups, technology startups, and the innovative things they're doing. Uh, you know, it kind of used to be that you you wait for the big technology companies or the big legal publishing companies like, you know, West or Lexus or something to kind of uh, come up with new products and bring new products to market. 
now there are just all these uh, small companies. Some of them are lawyers who saw a problem that wasn't being addressed in their own practices. And you know what you're seeing is uh, even some of these startups are, are started by by lawyers who are practicing and see a problem and and uh, no they have no product that's addressing it or not addressing it well. They think and so they'll go out and start their own company or. Uh, you know, uh, other companies that are just taking really innovative approaches. I mean, I think of something like legal research where, you know, we all kind of thought legal research was probably about as developed as it was going to get. Uh, you know, you, you get in and you do a search and, and you find your results. And then just in the last year or two, we've seen really innovative approaches to legal research from companies like Judicata or Case Text. Uh, and, uh, you know, so it, it's a fascinating time. Uh, and and, uh, and it, it's only getting more interesting. I, I love the democratization. Let me see if I can see that, say this word, but the democratization of um, of what technology has rendered uh, in terms of anyone wanting to just you know they see a problem as you said instead of going to a big company and going through that long long process of trying to get something to market, they can just start out with a minimal viable product and then just iterate and. Um, it's it's great. There's so much energy out there right now. But as it re- relates to legal marketing, there's a whole subset of of technology called MarkTech. It's it's like a thing now, M A R T E C H, yeah. which of course is marketing technology, and that includes, like with legal in general, aspects of artificial intelligence, machine learning, certainly marketing automation, which has been around, but it's starting to become a lot more, a lot smarter, if you want to call it that. Um, in your journeys out there, uh, how are firms responding and adapting to that particular kind of technology? It's, you know, obviously uh, firms are beginning to understand, I think, the power of, of data. You know, it was Peter Drucker who said something like, what gets measured gets managed. And legal marketing is still very heavily relationship driven, referral driven. But even so, I think a lot of marketing over the years was sort of seat of the pants, was gut instinct. Uh, this is this applies to both large firms and solo and small firms. And you know, increasingly, I think firms are beginning to understand that by uh, collecting data about what they're doing, uh, about uh, their marketing efforts, what's working, what's not working, applying some analytics to that data. It can help them be more efficient in their spending on marketing and get better results out of it. I think, to me, one of the, uh, again, for my, my sort of, uh, this is all talking about technology, but from my legal tech geek uh, perspective, one of the more interesting trends in this area is beginning to mine uh, court data and apply analytics to that. Uh, you know, we see companies like Lex Machina that are going in and pulling data out of federal court's PACER system. Uh, some are now pulling out state court data and providing that to firms for any number of reasons. But, a, you know, a big one is for uh, for marketing, for developing competitive intelligence. You know, it, it used to be firms would, you know, you look at a law firm website and they'd say, oh, you know, we're, we're the best in intellectual property. But it kind of rely on uh, awards or, or recognition or something like that. Now they can really kind of point to analytics. They can say, look, <laughs> we've handled these 10 IP cases before this judge in this court, and uh, we've won eight out of these 10, whereas our competitor uh, has done not so, done so well. Um, and uh, so, uh, you know, taking those kinds of analytics and 
uh, or even looking at their own firm and saying, who are the lawyers in our firm who uh, are, are successful in this area or who have a track record or experience in this area? Who can we turn to? Who should we bring to this pitch or who should we tout at this pitch? Um, so, uh, you know, it, it's a whole new area of, of, uh, of data-driven, fact-driven marketing that, that uh, is really fascinating to me. I agree. I mean, there's, I remember years ago, we, I was looking at uh, automating plat, um, automation platform uh, HubSpot and for marketing automation. And it was, it was sort of rudimentary. And then, then of course, they got like um, you know, what, tens of millions of dollars in funding. And then right. the other day, we switched uh, from Pardot and we we're going with HubSpot. And we keep hearing from more law firms about, um, okay, how can I get onto that, um, those automation platforms? It is mind-boggling the level of segmentation and automation that you can get as you learn more about your audience. So it's, it's a fascinating time to, um, to be in legal marketing and to see the technology that facilitates not going in blind to anything. But, you know, I'd like to swing, swing this around a little bit and look at tech companies. You play a lot in the tech company space, and, of course, that's where I got a lot of my marketing chops, working for a few years with a legal startup, uh, a legal tech startup. And the challenges vary, of course, depending on, a, on like a ton of factors, including like how big they are, um, what kind of marketing personnel they have, what kind of funding they have, wh wh how is the vertical going, where's the competition coming from, and so on. Any marketing advice for legal companies uh, that provide legal services? It's, it's sort of a fraud, uh, not, not really fraud, but I've had a lot of conversations with marketers at legal tech companies, and we go back and forth, and different. With the, it's been fascinating to discover the different challenges and how they go about trying to solve it. Any advice? Well, it you know it varies a little bit by who they're marketing to, size of firm they're marketing to. I mean, the, the tech companies that are marketing to the big firms, I think, get really frustrated by the by the sales cycle uh, at at big firms. Uh, lawyers can take forever to make decisions about products and. Uh, you know, as startups uh, need to start making revenue uh, as quickly as they can and can get, uh, you know, that, that can really kill a startup sometimes or, or really hurt it uh, or force it into, uh, you know, having to be sold or acquired earlier than it wants to. But, um, I mean, I, to me, the one most important piece of advice that I always have for startups is to really know your audience and listen to your audience. And just because you have a, just because you think you have a good idea, it doesn't mean it's a good idea or it doesn't mean it's one that's going to have practical uh, play in the market or that, or that lawyers or, or whoever you're marketing to are immediately going to understand the practical implications of it. And uh, to me, the most, the most successful startups that I've seen, uh, including uh, the one that you used to work for, are, are the ones where the the executives, the, the, the people who are running the company, get out there and talk to people all the time. Uh, you know, there's, a, there's something to be said for going around to some of these legal technology conferences or bar conferences uh, or whatever. And, you know, maybe you exhibit, maybe you don't. Exhibiting costs money and maybe that's not always the best thing. But just going to those conferences and hanging out in the halls and hanging out at the receptions and going to the programs and talking to people and talking to them about what you're doing, but also listening 
to their responses to it, listening to what their problems are, is really effective, I think, at helping to grow a company. You know, I mean, not, just not not to throw names around, but I mean, you used to work for Rocket Matter, of course, and and uh, you and Larry, the CEO there, Larry Port. And, you know, from from the start of that company, uh, Larry was out there going to conferences and letting people know who he was, but also getting to know the market and the people in the market. Uh, you can name any other number of companies that have done the same thing, uh, and and those tend to be the more successful companies. So I, I think that's really important. I agree. Technology is great and it's very useful and it's absolute must for today when it comes to marketing, but nothing, it doesn't operate in a vacuum, right? Relationships still yeah. matter, right? Um, and this is how you get not just people who can be evangelizers, but like you said, get feedback, find out from, your, from, from the people that you built this uh, technology for, what it is that they need and what are their pain points. Couldn't agree more. Um, yeah. So I want to dial it back a little bit to 15 years. I think it was 15 years ago, right? When you started blogging and, you know, those of us who write, like yeah, we like live and breathe the challenges um, that go along with blogging and writing. But I mean, we know the, re the reason we do it is because we know the rewards. Um, and for some of us, of course, it's not even an option. We have to write. <laughs> But, um, but yeah. I would say many lawyers, most lawyers, um, start and stop, right? They recognize the value, they, and then they realize the effort <laughs> um, and the consistency it takes, and then they stop. How have you maintained? You have, in, in, in the last year or so, I think you, I've seen you write even more. How have you maintained your energy and passion? And can you offer some advice to those who are blogging? Mm -hmm. Drugs. <laughs> uh, no, 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 I'm kidding. For, you know, for me, uh, I think I'm a little bit different only because uh, I, I came from a journalism background, as you said earlier. And so I was used to that routine of writing on a regular basis. Um, and, uh, you know, writing even on a daily basis or on a, on a deadline basis. You know, I think one of the things you, you uh, learn in journalism is that the, the perfect is the enemy of the good. I think a lot of lawyers, when they start blogging, just really fret and toil over trying to get a blog post just right or, uh, you know, looking at it and revising it and reworking it. Uh, and uh, I've found over the years that some of the, some of the posts I've, I've, put up most quickly, <laughs> almost on a throwaway basis, sometimes end up being some of the most popular ones. You just don't know. But, you know, it's the hardest, the two hard parts about blogging consistently are, are coming up with things to write about and then actually sitting down and finding the time to write them up. And so I, for me, I've just fallen into a routine. I, I, I have a, a number of sources uh, that I've that I track to keep up with the topics that I'm interested in. Uh, I, I'm still a big a big fan of RSS. I keep hearing people say that RSS is dying, but uh, I use I use Feedly to track uh, a number of sources and blogs and whatnot that that interest me and that uh, help provide ideas to me. Uh, and uh, you know, I'm 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 fortunate that because I've built up a name blogging a little bit, I also have a lot of people just <laughs> sending me stuff all the time. Uh, maybe too many people sending me stuff all the time, but. So I have, you know, finding material is, is one thing. And then I, I just have a routine of uh, generally every morning, at least I'll get up and uh, kind of my first thing every day, or uh, sometimes if I know I'm going to be busy in the morning, I'll do it at night or something and just try and get a post done. 
uh, you're right. I've been doing more the last year, I think, than, than ever before. One of the things that obviously we both do is podcasting. And what I've told folks is if you're, if you feel uh, like a little bit stretched in terms of blogging or when you sit down to write, you have uh, some writer's block or you don't know how to, to write the way it would resonate with your audience is do a podcast and then transcribe that. Because I think the way we speak, when we sit down to write, we often forget to, to write that way. And then we try to be too careful and too perfect. And, and then, of course, then you strip it of any humanity and no one wants to read the thing or any passion. Right? Yeah, yeah. yeah, right. You have to have voice. You have to, you have to be yourself. So. Absolutely. Absolutely. So finally, I can't wrap this episode out without talking about uh, social media. Back in 2008, uh, I remember trying Twitter. This is when I left the firm and um, I'd started my own consultancy. And, but I deleted my first account. And of course, I regret that because I couldn't get that, <laughs> my Twitter handle back. <laughs> um, but I just couldn't see the useful, usefulness of it. But a year into that consultancy, I decided to give it another try. And I, I just sat, I remember just sitting on my couch and saying, I'm just going to Google until I find how useful this can be. And I think I shared the story with you that I found your Lawyer to Lawyer podcast back then. And I think Kevin O'Keefe was on it. And something clicked when I heard that. And then I, I immediately, I, I created a new account. Um, and it's just been an incredible journey since then. So a lot of lawyers and, uh, and even legal professionals, they are having some, I, I get a lot of questions about the value, they're trying to figure out the value of social media. Twitter can become, you know, this sort of cesspool of trolls. Um, Facebook is this, like, is this uh, a platform that's sort of closed out. LinkedIn is starting to become um, more social. It's been uh, an in interesting uh, to see its evolution. Uh, any advice for lawyers um, and legal professionals on using social media? Boy, you know, it's such a, it's such a big question. It, it, it's funny that uh, you mentioned LinkedIn becoming more social because, yeah, I, I had almost kind of written off LinkedIn for a while. It just, it just seemed to be uh, dormant. Uh, you know, you, you'd connect with somebody and, and that would be kind of the end of it and, and nothing else would happen. And uh, they've done quite a turnaround uh, over the last maybe year. Um, of course, they've been acquired by Microsoft, which uh, is, is interesting in and of itself. You know, I think the the same thing is true about social media of any kind as as you were just saying about blogging and podcasting, which is um, to be yourself, to be uh, a little bit more comfortable in it, figure out how you want to use it. Some people, you know, use Facebook in Twitter say very differently. Uh, Facebook for some for some people tends to be kind of their more personal platform where they're maybe going to keep it a little closer to the vest, not closer to the vest in terms of what they post, but in terms of the, the group that they'll connect with or, or, or whatever on Facebook. Um, you know, tw Twitter is, uh, some people say Twitter has been uh, kind of dying a little bit. Uh, in recent years, uh, I, I still find it to be uh, an incredibly valuable way both to keep up with what's going on uh, among the various interests that I have and also to let others know what I'm up to. Uh, I know that 
it, you know, for me, if I publish a blog post or put up a, a podcast, uh, Twitter for me continues to be one of the most valuable ways to get word out about that. So from a from a sort of a marketing point of view, Twitter is is very effective. Facebook uh, is very effective, and LinkedIn is very effective. I, I, I kind of use all three of those, and uh, I use them maybe in slightly different ways. But you know, I think it's for, for lawyers, it's important that they get on those things if they're not using them, uh, be comfortable in them, make it part of their daily routine to kind of check in uh, on those, on each of those platforms. And as I say, just kind of get comfortable with it and uh, develop their voice on it. Thank you, Bob. Thanks for being on the podcast. Before you go, if you liked this episode, please subscribe to our podcast. We are on iTunes, Stitcher, SoundCloud, and wherever you listen to podcasts. You will find the show notes for this episode along with all of the Legal Marketing 2.0 episodes at goodtobesocial.com. Thanks for listening and until next time.